another edition of the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham, Managing Editor of nhjournal.com, where I hope you have subscribed to our free daily newsletter, and I hope you follow us. And some of you are even signing up to subscribe for $4.99 a month to our absolutely free newsletter you're going to get anyway. I appreciate that. I also appreciate the support of Dr. Bruce Houghton at perfectsmiles.com for sponsoring this podcast. You know, back before this uh, print thing, when I was in the media, I did lots of TV all the time and it was a thing to have, you wanted, you know, you have a smile for TV. It was, it was, it was important. And I went to Dr. Bruce and he said, Michael, I'm not just going to come in here and do some work. I'm going to craft a smile for you. And that's what he's done for me. He did it for my buddy, Howie Carr. He's done it for a bunch of people and he can do it for you. Whether you're looking for a promotion and you want to have a great smile to take you through your personal career or whether you've just had you know issues with how your smile looks and you want to do something about it for you personally, maybe you've gone to a dental professional and they told you what they want to do and you saw the price tag and went, oh, I can't do that. Look, I don't know what the deal is going to be. All I know is this. Dr. Bruce Houghton at perfectsmiles.com in Nashua will take great care of you. He and his wife, Stephanie, are wonderful people. I literally would trust them with my life. And if you are even thinking about either looking for just a new dentist for your twice a year checkups or considering major dentistry in your future, before you do anything else, just talk to Dr. Bruce Houghton at perfectsmiles.com. In just a few minutes, you're going to hear from Mike Rogers, a former member of Congress. He's got a an effort on a push to help uh, basically move America's place in the world forward. It's called the LEAD Project, and he's going to tell you all about it coming up. It's really important, valuable information about America and global policy. What do I talk, got to talk about? Hack politics. But just a little, a, a little dabbling of uh, punditry and then straight to Mike Rogers. But given where we are, what's happening, it kind of feels weird to do a, a New Hampshire Journal podcast without doing some rank punditry. And so for about a week now, the debate has raged what caused this historic midterm victory for Democrats. And that's what it was. It, you can try to paint it some other way you want. Well, they, you know, New Hampshire Republicans are going to hold on to the House, it looks like, by three votes, whatever. Republicans in Congress are going to win the House by one, two votes. No, no. This is a historic non-defeat. How about that for Democrats, given everything else we know? It's a midterm. One party is in full power of Washington. Right away, you're supposed to lose 20, 30 seats. Then you add terrible approval rating for Joe Biden. That adds more. Then you add the worst inflation since the 1970s and 80s. That adds more. On and on and on. It didn't happen. Any attempt by anyone to say this was anything other than a total humiliation for Republicans is just not being honest about what happened. What I also think, though, is dishonest is trying to find the one thing that made it happen. The fact is, you don't have the kind of swing from basically a guaranteed, you know, bad night for Democrats back to a, oh my gosh, they might win, hold on to the House. That doesn't happen from just one thing. I think you know, it's one of those bank shots where all the pieces have to line up. Just like, how do you elect Donald Trump? Well, you have to have Hillary Clinton. You have to have not a foreign policy crisis that stops people from voting for an outsider. You have to have just the right states. You have to have just the right votes and just the right... So that we've had a lot of, uh, of tricky bank shots in this game of political pool. And that's what happened last Tuesday. And so 
for example, people who say, oh my gosh, it's abortion. Republicans have got to come a pro-choice party. We can't win. That's just idiotic. Yes, Dobbs was huge. Dobbs changed the center of gravity for politics without a doubt. And Republicans completely mishandled the issue. Both of those things didn't have to happen. Republicans couldn't control the Supreme Court finally fixing the legal mistake that was Roe versus Wade, which it was. It was from a legal standpoint. The the court, what the court did was obviously the right legal thing to do. But they didn't have to screw up how they handled it afterwards. And the fact that you had everything from, you know, uh Lindsey Graham proposing national bans to you know Republicans saying, no, we're not gonna do anything. It was just a total mess. That but that was huge. And as more data comes out about where the votes were here in New Hampshire and who actually voted, you're going to see that younger voters and women voters, that's going to definitely be part of it. It, For the people who say it was Trump, once again, by himself, can he save the Democratic Party? No, by himself, he cannot. But add Trump to the Dobbs mix, and now you've got Dobbs with some nitrous oxide in the tank. And certainly Donald Trump helped energize Democrats so that they could come out. One of the things that I think has not been reported enough is that a lot of the Republican candidates in New Hampshire and around the country hit their vote targets. They were like, okay, this is a midterm. It's a new era midterm, so we can't aim as low as we did in the past. But looking at 2018, if I can get X votes, I can win. They got their X votes. But because of Trump, Democrats got more. He, the negative partisanship of Trump is an amazing power to turn out the kind of Democratic voters who don't traditionally turn out in a midterm. They wouldn't even turn out for Barack Obama. Remember, Obama won 2012 with his Obama coalition. He kind of came back. The polls, the Gallup poll looked like he was guaranteed to lose and Romney was winning. And then boom, out out of nowhere come these four or five million voters no one saw and they delivered for Obama. He built that coalition, but only when he was on the ballot. In 2018 and 2022, Donald Trump (laughs) helped the Democrats build their anti-Trump coalition without being on the ballot. And then the other thing that has to be acknowledged is that the structural advantages that Democrats have as a party, particularly in New Hampshire, really paid off. Republicans in the past have relied on self-delivering votes. The party was the party trending wise. If you were college educated, if you were a college educated suburbanite, et cetera, if you were in this socioeconomic group that was most likely to just show up and vote because civic duty, habit, culture, Republicans had an advantage there. So their votes self-delivered. Democrats had voters who didn't self-deliver, who for whatever reasons and you know, all kinds of reasons, their coalition needed buses. You bring people in, you organize and turn out that vote. Well, the Republican coalition is becoming more and more the members of the not self-delivering votes. More blue collar working guys are less likely to just show up and vote. It's just, it's statistically true. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying that's the way it is. You know, Hispanic voters, black voters, you know, it's Republicans are cheering the fact that they're reaching into that part of the Democrat coalition, but it's a part of a coalition that's going to need more uh, organization to deliver to the ballot box. Whereas Democrats are picking up self-deliverable votes. So they've still got their old system of bringing in the, the voters who need a little extra oomph to get to the ballot box and the self-delivering college-educated suburban white women are showing up too. So that's a structural advantage that was absolutely on display. And then it just has to be said, candidate quality counts. And there are two different kinds of candidate quality. Don Bolduck, 
was just not a good candidate at any level. He just wasn't a good general election candidate. As soon as he won the nomination, every person who does politics or thinks politics seriously said he can't win. The polls told a different story. <laughs> and so, you know, you follow the polls and the data and you think, hey, this is it. And it turned out, nope, the uh, the conventional wisdom was right. He just not a good candidate, can't win. Caroline Levitt, I don't know a single Democrat who doesn't think she was a good candidate, smart, hardworking, effective communicator. She just wasn't a good fit for New Hampshire, when you're running as a person who openly says uh, the 2020 election was stolen, it's not just the 2020 election issue that's at play. It's the people, the kind of people who say that tend to be as a group, the kind of people that a lot of independent voters go, I don't want to hang out with those people. In a way, it reminds me of the way that the gun issue has worked in the past and the way I predict the abortion issue is going to work in the future. In the past, once you said you were pro-Second Amendment, voters just filled in all kinds of things about you. They just assumed you were you know, pro-life, small government, you know, lower tax. It was the kind of person who talked about guns while they ran for office was the kind of person who represented a bunch of other things. The kind of person who talks about 2020 election denial is the kind of person who, fill in the blank, whatever you want to say, but... They're not the kind of person that independent voters want to vote for. And, you know, we had polling that said that independents were breaking for Republicans. That obviously did not turn out to be true here in New Hampshire. Stuff happens. No polls perfect, whatever. In fact, independents and soft Biden opponents, people who said that they uh, disapproved of Biden but didn't strongly disapprove, they somewhat disapproved, they gave a solid majority of their votes to Democrats. And having candidates who were representing that part of the part of the Republican Party, the 2020 denial party, it's not that people were like, I have to agree with you on every issue or whatever. It was they assumed, oh, if you will say that, then you must be part of that bigger, scarier, what Biden labeled the what it was, ultra MAGA, Uber, ultra move MAGA. One of them's a party, one of them's a beer, but you must be in that group. So you add all that together, the effect of Dobbs that changed how people thought about abortion in, by the way, one of the most pro-abortion states in the country, without a doubt, New Hampshire is in the top two or three when it comes to being pro-abortion. And then you add the Trump effect. And remember, Trump has never won in New Hampshire. He lost 2016, 2018, 2020, and now this. And then uh, the organization and the candidate I hate to say candidate quality because there are good candidates like Caroline Levitt who just aren't good fits. And then there are candidates who aren't very good candidates like uh, Don Bulldog. Put that all together and you end up in an astonishing circumstance where there's basically not going to be a majority for either party in the state house in New Hampshire. It looks like. I also want to say this is a reminder to people like me, big mouth, loud mouth, know-it-alls like me who you read and listen to the pundits talk. And I had, I had my whole chart out about no U.S. Senator, Senator has gotten five points above their party's president's approval rating. It's only happened twice with weirdos like Susan Collins and with you know uh, Joe Manchin. It can't happen. Hassan's done. Well, guess what? Every single Democrat in all of the swing states, Arizona, Nevada, Georgia, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, they all outperformed Biden by more than five points. That, that data point is now blown up. 
that five point ceiling is now gone in this election. And it's just a reminder, you know, what usually happens is what usually happens, but it doesn't always happen. And you don't know everything. In fact, when it comes to voting, what the heck do I know? <laughs> so I'm, I, I, I will continue to pundify because it's a lot of fun and I'm happy to share the little things that I see. But the voters have the final say. And the voters once again reminded everyone in New Hampshire who's really in charge. And if New Hampshire Republican Party isn't prepared to embrace who's really in charge, then they will continue their streak of not winning federal elections in New Hampshire. And now let's talk to someone who has won a federal election, a former member of Congress from Michigan, Mike Rogers, here on the New Hampshire Journal Podcast. So please welcome to the podcast, former Michigan Congressman Mike Rogers. He's also the uh, co-founder of LEAD. Congressman, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for taking some time. So first things first, my lovely bride says go blue. She's a Michigan grad. Uh, I, I love that. You can't say it too loud. However, my <laughs> wife is a diehard throw pillows at the TV Michigan State fan. So I was about to say, you you're not in a mixed ma- some trouble. You're not in a mixed here. marriage, are you? We definitely are in a mixed uh, marriage. You know, I, I, I thought that was uh, illegal in Michigan. Guy. She's a Michigan. Uh, well, you know, uh, we, I keep real quiet around basketball time, and uh, I get a little louder at football time. Yep. And uh, we just uh, we just try to get in separate places of the house when they're playing each other. I understand that. Well, undefeated, not uh, not bad. So you know what that means? Undefeated means the perfect chance for Michigan to yet again choke. So we'll be looking forward to that. Um, <laughs> So tell you tell know, my, me you, tell you, me what you lead, made my wife's you just made my wife's day. I just want you to know that she no, just, wants them to cheer. Well, I, I'm a, I grew up in rural South Carolina, so I'm a college football fan. That's my sport of choice. And so even though the Big Ten is second rate, obviously I watch SEC football, the only football that matters. But my wife has dragged me into watching the second tier stuff with you guys. And there's some oh oh ho state thing. I never remember. Anyway, yeah. Um, well, we can't. <laughs> well, they they trademarked the Ohio State. Yes. Or copyrighted, exactly. I guess. Well, they wanted to trademark the, the they okay. wanted to trademark the one word that all of their graduates could spell. So I thought that was very smart. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I can't really say that and still go home to the Big Ten <laughs> conference, but I, I might repeat what you have said. So uh, I, I didn't say that. Well, remember, please please be sure to attribute that to Jim Merrill. That's the guy who said that. So <laughs> I will do fine. that. So tell tell the uh, NH Journal listeners what does LEAD L E A D stand for? Uh, leadership to ensure the American dream. And so a couple of years ago, my wife and I were getting a little bit politically discouraged, like everyone. We were getting politically exhausted, like everyone. A lot of finger pointing, a lot of hands around each other's throats, uh, really driving a wedge between uh, you know, us and our neighbors, candidly. And we started realizing that the one thing that we weren't doing, we were doing a lot of talking about what makes us different. And we have different graduation ceremony. I mean, everything is different uh, between you and your neighbor, right? And the government wants to tell you how we are different about 10 times a day. But there was no one really talking about how we're the same and what makes America a very unique and amazing place. And so we wanted to start an organization that started to change the conversation. And the reason that's important is that the, uh, we have this huge strategic competition, a, a really a threat uh, that's bearing down on the United States. And what that means for us is that our economic prosperity is at risk. Right. The kind of lifestyles that we leave are at risk. 
live uh, are at risk. And so we decided that we, it was really important that we start having this dialogue, remind people about people who are living the American dream today, coming from nothing, making something of themselves. The very fact that you can be your own person uh, and do your own thing and do your own good in your own way. Uh, we can't lose sight of that. I mean, there's still a reason people are dying to try to get here. So what, uh, they don't so do that the, to China. So Congressman, where does the threat to that value system, that fundamental belief come from? Is it something that China, Russia, and other international actors are trying to undermine using stuff like you know social media, et cetera? Or is it coming from the conversation inside America? Is our civic, uh, are, are there civic enemies of that premise about how we should live? Short answer, Michael, is yes to both, to all, all of the above. Typical politician. And so, you typical know, the Chinese politician. are saying things. Sorry, what's that? Yeah. T typical politician. Well, yeah, exactly. No, but it's true. I mean, yes. What's contributing to it is our domestic politics. Uh, and what's also contributing to it is that they're using what's happening here and going around the world and telling people that we would like to be our friends uh, around the world and do business with, most importantly, that American democracy is broken. Uh, American democracy is not what it used to be, and its best days are have come and gone. And we know this. This is what they're telling their other people. These, these are called, It's either propaganda, if you want to look at it that way. It's also information operations. And just to tell you how the, one step further and why I say both, uh, is that even in going into this election, this is really aggressive for the Chinese. There was a private company that determined that there was a Chinese effort through an information operation, through social media, talking to Americans, trying to get them to believe that it was in their best interest not to vote, to not vote. And what they were trying to do is continually drive down participation numbers so that they can continue their narrative internationally that America, that American democracy doesn't work. Here's another way they do it. In Africa, they went to a country, built this beautiful bridge. And what their narrative is when they did that, and by the way, the African nation would say, well, it was free too, by right, the way. Exactly. They just paid for it. They didn't ask us to pay for it. And they, what the Chinese are saying is, you see that bridge? American democracy didn't build that bridge. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party built that bridge. Right. Uh, you can't count on the Americans, right? And so this is all happening, uh, you know, it, as to your introduction, while we're debating things a, that we've been debating for 50 years. When I heard, you know, the president, former president of the United States, Barack Obama, run around saying they're going to steal your Social Security and Medicare, you know, they went after Ronald Reagan with that back in the <laughs> 80s. Same, same playbook. We've been talking right. about this forever. It never happened. And so our politics have gotten so small and so petty. The Chinese know that. They're trying to take advantage of it both internationally and at home. And they tell us, Michael, this is the important part. They want the United States sphere of influence to be diminished. And they want to kind of kick us off the international stage, they want to set the standards. They want to be the currency of, uh, of last resort reserve, like that the way the American dollar is today. And by the way, when they start knocking us out of those things, which is the, what they tell us they want to do, it does impact our ability and prosperity going forward. It impacts our, uh, our lifestyles right here at home. So how, how, why should, so there's a, as you know, there's a longstanding Republican tradition of isolationism. There's also a longstanding democratic position on the Bernie Sanders wing of isolationism. It says, Hey, look, we we're a big country. We got a lot of wealth. Most of the stuff we sell to each other is stuff that we make anyway. Who cares if what China does over in China, let's just focus here at home and be uh, happy, bring all our troops home, put that money in our pocket and be happy as clams. Why are they wrong? Congressman. 
they're wrong for a whole host of reasons. Let me give you one, right? Uh, one great example in our American policies don't align because our politics has gotten so small. They, they, uh, the Democrats have come out lately and said they want everybody to have an electric car. Even California Democrats came out and said, we're, we're going to ban the sale of gasoline cars. Uh, you know, and if you're you're in the construction business uh, in up north of uh, New Hampshire, yeah, that, that, that probably doesn't work for you. But aside from that, 85% of everything that gets processed in that electric car happens in China today. Uh, and so we, we are going to have to understand that there are things we have to do at home to take care of ourselves, but we also want to have uh, co commercial engagement with our ends, uh, friends and allies, meaning I want to sell them stuff. I want to sell them made in USA stuff. Uh, and in order to do that, we have to have strong relationships around the world. And what the Chinese are doing is trying to take those markets away from us. A, a great example just happened. Uh, Latin America, we have worked to try to keep socialism and communism out of Latin America for a long time. In America, and it's been tough. Sometimes we win as a United States policy and sometimes we don't. And the reason that's important is because they become very anti-American very quick. As a matter of fact, the new wave in Latin America is the uh, politician that is fiercely anti-American and aligning themselves with Venezuela, socialist country that's starving itself to death. And so when you look what just happened is that the number one trading partner for Latin America is now China. Wow. used to be the United States. Of course. And so what, why do you think they're drifting to the left? It's for those very reasons. And so being engaged internationally doesn't mean uh, military adventurism. Matter of fact, I couldn't tell you why that's probably really bad for the United States in the long run. But being engaged with, uh, with fierce diplomacy around the world is incredibly important for us. And making sure that they're buying American goods and understand who we are as Americans in American democracy, all very important. So think about it. We, we feed the world. We have done a lot to feed the world. But we also import some food products that would be really important for America. So why should and the you cannot survive. You just can't survive economically by only selling to me, to you, to you, to me. Can't do that. We have to have broader markets in order to have the kind of goods and services that we enjoy in America today. So why should the average, you know, person who's out, you know, at Walmart or whatever buying stuff that's made in China, why should they say, yes, I'm willing to pay more for products or I'm willing to, you know, have a restricted flow of the stuff I want? When all of you insider DC fat cat corporate types, you won't do it. You know, corporate America loves China and uh, corporate America has done business with China for decades. And even as blue collar workers were begging for, you know, protection, uh, they were told that that, oh, that, may, that makes you a xenophobe like Pat Buchanan and, and Donald Trump. This uh, America's elites today, Congressman, won't even ban TikTok, which is basically the Chinese version of an electronic vacuum cleaner in every kid's phone. So if D.C. isn't willing to take China seriously, why should the average new granite stater break a sweat? Well, that's exactly the problem and why exactly I'm in the Granite State today having this conversation. I did one of the very first currency manipulation bills. Remember, I'm from Michigan and Michigan's a manufacturing state. I worked in a car plant uh, and those are really good and incredibly good jobs. Uh, it allows people to take care of their families and they build phenomenal products. And what we saw back then, this was early 2000s, was that China was uh, uh, illegally copying uh, auto parts and selling them in the third party markets, right? right? So they would take steal the designs for big the big three, 
they'd copy them and then they'd sell those knockoff parts around the world to people who bought Chevys and Chryslers and Fords uh, back then. And so we were on this early. I certainly was on this early beating this drum. And the, the headwind that I got, what you were exactly right. It was from uh, folks who believe that uh, international trade at any cost, which I don't believe is right, uh, and you know corporations who saw that the, it was the gold rush of 1849 by opening a business in China, they were going to make gazillions of dollars, uh, and they didn't care that it was in in four quarters they might not you know everything they had would be stolen. They were going to make a lot of money in one, two, and third quarter, and so we had a lot of headwind from uh, corporate America about no, 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 we need to be their partners. This is a big economy. All of the stories that you hear. Uh, and I will give the Trump administration credit as far as the things that we talked about, guys like me were talking about before that, they started implementing, pushing back uh, on illegal trade practices, uh, tariffing issues, uh, uh, certain products that they, we know that they were stealing our intellectual property and then trying to sell it back to us. All of that is really, really important. But look at the last election, Michael. Did anyone talk about this? No. Did you hear it anywhere in the country? No. no. And I and I argue we better start talking about it or we are going to lose this fight. And we're going to have the Chinese Communist Party dictating our software and tech standards moving forward. And that's what they say they want to do. They want to make sure that they are the currency reserve for the world. Right now, it's the U.S. dollar. And by the way, that helps our standard of living. They want to they want to take over that slot. They want to write the rules for international trade. Uh, they tell us that's what they want to do. Their Navy just surpassed the U.S. Navy in number of ships, right? Most people were sleeping at the switch, didn't know what happened. And now they are our competitors in the space race. Competitors, not 10 years behind right. or 20. Remember, everybody was saying, oh, they're 20 years behind. Oops, guess what? They caught up. Why? Because we've had political debates that aren't dealing with the real issues that we need to deal with to put us in a position to compete and win against China. And I know we can do it. We just have to focus on it. Well, I know we can, too, because we've got what something that they don't have, which is Elon Musk. So once Emperor Musk is running everything, I'm, it is going to be all all good. I'm good with that. I but, heard he's uh, buying your, uh, your your paper. Your, I, your I'm counting on uh, uh, con Elon. I'm standing by. If you got a billion bucks laying around, we can absolutely <laughs> send him a tweet. He'll get it. I will tell. I'll put it this way. He would get a better deal buying New Hampshire Journal for a billion dollars than he's going to get for buying Twitter for forty four billion dollars. They would it, the net loss would be much smaller. Um, well, you know what? Well, you wouldn't take eight hundred million. Uh, well, I don't know. Get a couple. Give me a couple of drinks, and then we'll see what happens. <laughs> uh, hey, so you mentioned that th this conversation we're not having is that conversation going to start? There's some people who are hopeful because a the size of the problem is too large to ignore, particularly with you know all the saber rattle saber rattling and the fact that Xi got himself appointed to this you know emperor for life gig, and then b the other reason there might be progress is. With a House that's going to have a you know four or five uh, Republican seat majority, a Senate that's either going to be tied again or maybe R plus one, there are just so few things that the critical mass of the two parties can agree on. But China, in theory, is one of them. So are you hopeful that there will be action taken by the new, you know, the second term, the, the second half of the Biden administration? And also, what are the one or two things that they should do if you could you know if you were the if you were emperor elon of dc what are the one or two things you would say this is what we're doing right now 
Yeah, well, you couldn't buy the debt for uh, Washington, D.C. for $44 billion. That wouldn't no, even, that, that's like close. a penny and a half. <laughs> um, the first thing that they've got to do, they must absolutely do, uh, and I think the, the Republicans in the House will do this, is they have to stop overspending and spending as much money. They spent three, the, the Democrats in the House and the Senate and the Biden administration spent $3 trillion in two years. And because, by the way, because of that, that's why you pay more for broccoli and bread and milk mm -hmm. at the grocery store. You can't flood the market with that much cash without prices going up. And they also incentivize a whole bunch of Americans to stay home. Uh, and one thing about Americans, they're, they're pretty smart. And if you're going to pay them to not work, guess what they're going to do? They're going to not work. Uh, even people who want to go back to work, it doesn't make financial sense for them. They created all the wrong incentives through the COVID program. So the first thing they need to absolutely do is get our spending under control. You think about this, the interest on our national debt is soon to surpass the, just the payment. So every year we have to make a exactly. payment. We U.S. citizens have right. to pay a, make a debt payment for all this spending. It will surpass the entire size of the Department of Defense budget. Mm. Think of that, the interest payment on our debt. This, this, is, this whole free money thing cannot continue. It's dangerous, it's reckless, it's gonna cause huge problems for the United States. And somebody, when the, when the music stops uh, and we're fighting for the three chairs that are left, somebody's gonna pay a pretty heavy price for that. And that's the next generation of Americans. And it's wrong to rob their, their history. So they have got to get a handle on spending. Uh, the second part of this, they can help start the modernization process of government. You know, we have 21st century problems. Uh, we have a 19th century government that is using 20th century tools. I mean, think about it. If Walmart can tell you uh, when a roll of toilet paper, and they're headquartered in Arkansas, leaves Manchester, New Hampshire uh, in the morning so that they can already get it into their restocking program, why in God's green earth does the U.S. government not be able to control three quarters of a trillion dollars? Think of that. Three quarters of a trillion dollars that they lost through all this COVID spending and that DOD mismanagement and appropriation. And by the way, they think half of the money stolen from these COVID payments were international players. Mm -hmm. Right. If Walmart can, we ought to invite Walmart in to help us figure <laughs> out who's dead and getting checks. Right. They'd have it figured out by about three o'clock this afternoon. <laughs> so we can no longer use 20th century tools in this 19th century government model. Congress can help to start do that. If they start doing those things, make a make a pretty good impact early. Here's the big things. And this is where it gets hard. So China is teaching their eighth graders uh, quantum mechanics in the United States. Uh, half of graduating seniors will not be able to read past the sixth grade level. Now let that sink in for a minute, right? If we're going to compete with them in technology, they say they want to be technologically dominant by 2035. They want to be data dominant, which was your TikTok uh, uh, comment, right. right? They're stealing all that data, building databases. Yes, on Americans. Uh, and you look at the fact that we're going to have to compete with less and less people who can even read at grade level. This is a significant problem. This is the biggest disability we create in America that's solvable. Uh, but we're going to have to be courageous on how we do it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, I'm sorry. Did you say that the, that's a problem where that's a problem getting Democrats did, on board? Did you just say that education is solvable? I do believe it is. So how? let me tell you why. There's a and here's why. There's a not-for-profit organization in Michigan that is pretty phenomenal. 
And what they do, and it's been around for 23 years, uh, they have a very intensive program where they do uh, an intensive test so they can really tell, like you, you can't use the test they use in schools. It will, it gives you, uh, let's just say the error correction is not fixable. You need to know exactly where they are. They just found a kid, by the way, uh, I won't say the school system, who was a junior reading at the first grade level. Now, I, wow. I don't know about you. I think that's criminal. Mm -hmm. I, I, you, how, how is that person going to succeed doing anything? And what have they been doing for the last 11 years? Exactly. He's not learning a lot, obviously, uh, if he can't read past the first grade level, if you're doing sixth or eighth or 12th grade work or 11th grade work. Anyway, they go in, they take those students out one hour a day. This is really, it's, it's not rocket science. It's not magic. They teach them phonics. Remember that? Phonics? Yes. Crazy talk. I know this is crazy. Teach talk. It, you, I'm, I'm, I, I, to worry, I, I'm in rehab. I was once hooked on phonics. So I'm still struggling with this. <laughs> I like it. Man, the school of rock, all of that. <laughs> right. And so they do it for five hours a week. They can get someone up to grade level after about 14 weeks. And then they for folks who are as far behind as the other student, they have another six week add on. And when teachers were first exposed to this, they were saying, why are you taking this student out of my class? I can't believe it. Once they come back to the class, uh, they're actually, they don't have to work. The teachers doesn't have, don't, don't have to work as hard to get those students to understand the material they're presenting. They're saying, why don't you take all of my students, right? If you think about how important that is and imagine a, a country of service, right? I, we, we, don't, we don't spend enough time imagining who we could be. We spend a lot of time talking about things that happened a few years ago uh, that didn't go our way. Really? That's been very hurtful to the United States and hurtful to our positioning in the world and hurtful uh, not only to our own psyche, but how the rest of the world sees us. Imagine if we could get people like a reading corps across America who get back in these classrooms and work with this nonprofit to bring kids up to grade level reading. We have the ability to do this. We can do this. And who can help us? The American people can help us do this. And so I argue we should absolutely do it. And by the way, when you're reading at grade 12 level, uh, when you go when you graduate, exponentially able to take care of yourself, oh, build, a, build a career and build money. We're, we're sentencing these people to a life of welfare and, and crime. Candidly, if you look at our jails, they're filled with people who can't read. Why are we don't, this is the greatest country on the face of the earth. What are we doing to ourselves? So to me, that has to be fixed. If we're going to compete with China, we have to fix that part as well. And I could go down issue by issue, well, you know, and, and again, we have downgraded America amongst ourselves. We've decided it's bad to be a patriot. It's bad to believe in the freest nation on the face of the earth that where people are actually risking their lives to get here. Uh, we think that this is pretty bad. Uh, listen, I'm chairman of the Intelligence Committee in Congress for years, uh, left in 2015. I've been to some bad places. I've been to a lot of places in the world. There is no place like the United States of America. And so we ought to encourage service, get people to get in the reading corps, we're down 25% in military recruiting. Why? Fox News just did a report and said that 39% of Americans would stand up and say they're proud of their country. 39%, right? We are doing this to ourselves. And guess who's helping us? Uh, helping get here. Our adversaries, China, Russia, Iran, they're all feeding this narrative. And now they don't have to be here to do it. They can do it on a computer in their home, home countries and talk bad about the United States and get us to talk bad about the United States. We have to shake ourselves out of this, Michael, or we're heading for some trouble.
Mike Rogers, he's uh, with the National uh, Institute, excuse me, National Security Institute, and the group is called LEAD. Where can people find more information about you other than, of course, asking China to hack into your TikTok account? Yeah, yeah. Well, you remember a couple of years ago when they uh, they stole all of the classified files from OBM, the Chinese? Do you remember mm -hmm. this? Right. Yeah. They stole like uh, 18 million classified files. They broke into Office of Budget and Management and stole all these files. Uh, and it was you know, there's something called an SF-86, which is all your clearance information. And of course, I had one. And so uh, the other day, I had to renew my SF-86. And this, your listeners should pay attention to this. Uh, I had to redo my SF-86. I couldn't remember my address from about 20 years ago. I just couldn't, couldn't remember it. So I called the Chinese embassy and the best service I ever had, they had that uh, whole file they just pulled up on their computer. Wow. Come on, Michael, that's funny. You got to work with me. On that. Where's your Ed McMahon laugh? I need it desperately. But you can go to lead, lead America, L E A D America.org, find out what we're doing, start re engaging and reigniting, and why America is such an amazing place and how together we're going to get this thing done. We're going to compete with China. We're going to push them back off the world stage and let communism die on the vine like we should. You are correct, sir. Hey, there, how was that? Was that good? For that was you? fantastic. Okay, you needed the the deeper laugh would be good. You had the deeper laugh for the for the jokes. So that would be great. <laughs> we'll edit that in. Mike Rogers, thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the New Hampshire Journal podcast. Please find us on Twitter, New Hamp Journal, on Facebook, NH Journal, and of course at nhjournal.com where you can sign up for our daily newsletter. I'm Michael Graham with Inside Sources. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.